Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. My name is Carrie. For those of you that are with us for the first time, my wife and I are some of the pastors here at the Movement Church, and I just want to say thanks for hanging out with us. You know, you could be anywhere, but you chose to be here, and I'm honored about that, and uh, by that, rather, and, and I'm excited about what we're diving into today. We're diving into a brand new series. Everybody say brand new. A brand new series called The Way I See It. And uh, we're excited about what this is going to unpack and what this is going to offer uh, because I think it really can make a profound impact in all of our lives. And what we're doing is we're, we're, we're taking the teachings of Jesus and, and trying to find the ways that appeal and apply to us right here, right now. And what you need to know is that so many of Jesus' teaching were just simple truths. They were just simple truths. Often we overcomplicate things. He, he said stuff like, love those who hate you or, 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 or treat you poorly. He said, treat people the way that you expect to be treated. The, the whole idea of the golden rule, that's right out of Jesus' heart. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He, he said things like, don't focus on the issues of others when you have issues of your own. How many of you have some issues? Would you just raise your hand? If you didn't raise your hand, you've got issues, my friend. I want you to know that. So he, he taught these profound truths through stories and word pictures that we would recall parables. Everybody say parables. And so what we've done is we've chosen through the course of this series five of those parables pulling powerful insight while simultaneously making them uncomplicated. I often, I'm telling you, we try to overcomplicate the things of Christ. I often we try to overcomplicate Christianity. And, and maybe you're here and you're not really sure where you fit on the faith journey. Or you're here and you're not really sure what it is you believe. That's okay. Permission to belong before you believe. And by the way, I'm never going to stop saying that. Some of you are like, I've been here a lot and I hear that all the time. Great, it's not for you. It's for the person who's here for the first time and they're thinking, why are we in a high school? This is so strange. And I don't know if I believe, why is there smoke on the stage? And why are people raising their hands to ask questions while they're singing a song? It's okay. You don't have to like any of it. We just want you to know there's a place for you. You belong here. And so we're going to take these simple truths and unpack them over the next five weeks. And here's my prayer. This is the thing I ask on a regular basis. And I say this over and over again. Man, I, I, I hope you never come here and, and agree with every single thing that we do because that means that we're probably not thinking. And I also pray that you don't come here and have every word that I preach or someone else preaches memorized. That's unrealistic. But my prayer is that every one of us will take something, one thing, a thought, a notion, an idea, and then leave this place making changes in our life. That's all that anyone could ever ask. But here's the deal. You, you can't expect for me to give you everything you need. You have to lean in and go, okay, God, what do you want to say to me today? And I promise if you'll lean in like that, then God will lean in in a, in a powerful way and do something awesome. Can I, just, can I just maybe give you permission to take a deep breath and say this? That, man, God's never expecting you to change everything in your life today. He just wants us to take just one more step. 
And if you're like my wife, she takes massive steps. Like she grows exponentially and learns so much in moments. But for me, it's itty bitty baby steps. Sometimes you can't even tell I'm moving, but I promise you I am. How many of you are kind of like me? Okay, permission to belong. All the rest of you, we hate you. But I just want to pray. I want to pray for us today. So do me a favor, bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray and jump into this. God, we just thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you that you're here in a profound way. You're doing something in our lives and in our hearts. And God, we lean into you. We we have a great expectation for you to do something miraculous. We don't want to just see the norm. We don't want it to be just another Sunday. We, we want to see the fullness of what you have to offer. And God, all of us want to be able to take something from today and, and apply it to our life and, and begin to change. So God, I thank you for that now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. So here's what I'm going to do. I, we're going to unpack these parables uh, and I'm going to pull them from Scripture. I'm going to read the same parable twice, but I want to start with a translation called the King James Version. Now, the, the Bible was written in either Hebrew or Greek. How many of you speak Greek or Hebrew? Raise your hand. Okay, you're liars right now. And so listen, they, they, uh, along the course of time, they've translated into English. And as they were being, Bible translations were happening, language has evolved. And so many people equate the Word of God to the translation I'm about to read. So many people feel like when they pray, they should sound like the translation I'm about to read, and it becomes confusing. So just for the sake of posterity, I wanted to read this parable, Luke chapter 12, verse 15 through 21 from the King James Version, and then we're going to introduce it in a little different way for you today. It says this, and he, being Jesus, said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth, everybody say consisteth, not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, and my slide is changing. There it is. By the way, this has my sermon notes on it right here. So if you guys think I've memorized everything, I have you fooled. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. That's such a hard word to say. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Everyone say bestow. And he said, this I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all of my fruits and my goods. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, that's deep, isn't it? I will say to my soul, soul, <laughs> thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Can I get an amen? Verse 20. But God said unto them, him, thou fool, this night thy soul, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Anybody loving this so far? Verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for God himself and is not rich toward God. <laughs> now, we actually told this story to some of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We actually told this story to some of your children. And then we filmed them and asked them to retell this very story as they saw Jesus telling this story. And we've captured this on film. So here is your children retelling this story the way that they see it. Would you roll that clip? The way I see it, Jesus said, there was this rich man, and he he was very selfish of himself, because he liked to he wanted to have 
have a big barn, so we got a big barn. And to fit all this stuff, and he put all this stuff in the whole uh, barn burned and he got really mad. No, it's not like that. Is there is that it was this foolish man that who that who got really mad at the barn because his cows didn't didn't want to milk. Uh, and then and then he bought another barn and the cows liked the barn but then they had a campfire and then once the campfire was over they had a second campfire and the campfire was a little bit too close to them, the barn. So then the barn blew down into black pieces. The cows, well, they were dead. The end. <laughs> Come on. I like that version. I love, <laughs> I love that version. And their campfire died, so they had a second campfire. I don't know where they pulled this, but... Man, don't you feel like sometimes when it comes to the Bible, don't you feel like sometimes this, this literally is how we kind of read it and see it? Like, it's challenging. Can, we, can I get some honest people for a minute who just say, sometimes it's challenging to pull truths that apply to me today. Would you raise your hand? Okay, great. You're, you're amongst friends. It's okay. So listen, I, what we want to do is actually take a moment. So what I'm going to try to do is actually kind of unpack some truths that we can pull right now from this. But I want to read that same parable from a translation called the Message Version. It's a paraphrase of the same scripture. And I want you to lean in here, and then we're going to pull three truths. And I want you to do this. Take a, a moment and text the word NOTES to our number so you can follow along. I've put everything in there, and here's the cool thing about this. A lot of our small groups or connect groups throughout the week are doing sermon-based connect groups, so everything you need for your connect group will be in there, but check this out. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, it says this. Speaking to the people, Jesus, he went on and he said, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. And then he told them this story. He said, the farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. And he talked to himself and he said, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. And then he said, here's what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done very well. You've got it made and now I can retire and take it easy and have the time of your life. And just then, God showed up and said, fool, tonight you die, and your barn full of goods, well, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. So I want to talk about three things we can pull from this parable. Number one, right off the bat, number one, beware the false pursuit of happiness. Beware the false pursuit of happiness. We live in a culture that is immersed in do whatever it takes, do whatever you have to do to be happy. Now, Jesus launched into this parable because someone in the crowd yelled out to him, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my portion of my inheritance. Kind of random if you think about it. Jesus is just sitting down teaching, often praying for people who are sick and being healed. The Bible says that whenever Jesus showed up, literally hundreds and thousands of people would circle around and this one knucklehead 
decides that's the appropriate time to bring a family feud to the table. Hey, tell my stinking brother to pay up, sucker. That's my own interpretation. And so Jesus steps on the scene with this very parable in reference to or because of the statement this man made. Now, before I go any further in today's message, I want to go ahead and put a disclaimer on it. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say that we cannot own or have amazing things. And I'm grateful because of Apple products. How many of you are addicted to Apple products? Yes. Every new one that comes out, I buy it. If they had an Apple child, I would buy an Apple child. It doesn't matter what it is. Nowhere does the Bible say, nowhere does Jesus say that we can't own amazing things. Nor does Jesus say that we should never or we can't drive to accomplish amazing things. Are you tracking with me? It's an important disclaimer. In fact, I actually believe that often our accomplishments point to the goodness of God. So what is Jesus saying in this parable? Look at verse 15. He kind of blatantly says it right off the bat. Take care and protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Here, God is warning us about greed or covetousness. That's the bigger word for it. That would be in the 10th commandment. The, of the, the 10 big things that God says, hey, these are part of, things that should not be a part of your life. Number 10, as what we would tell our children, is don't be jealous of what others have. And that's the essence of what greed is. It's wanting what I do not have. Now, I know right now many of us are thinking, I'm not a greedy individual, and and I, I hope not. But listen, I just want you to be open to what God might be saying because greed isn't just... This, this attempt to be as wealthy as you possibly can, it's an insatiable need for more. This, this need that I don't have enough. In fact, Peter, one of the, the authors of the Bible in 2 Peter, he said that we have become experts in our greed. Have you ever met an expert? How many of you know the game foosball? Anyone in here? You've been to the Y one time? How many of you ever played the game foosball? Let me just give you a guarantee. None of you can beat me at foosball. I want you to know that right now. Because I was a youth pastor. No, you can't, Jimmy. We'll play later. I will destroy you. Literally, I was a youth pastor, and I was 20. I did nothing but play foosball and just destroy eighth grade kids all day long. And I can destroy. I promise, you are not that good. And I, I could destroy you. And I thought I was so awesome until this one day at our church, this lady in her mid-30s walked into our game room at our church. She's like, what's this over here? It was a setup, and it was evil. What is this thing? I was like, oh, it's a foosball table. Would you like to play? I can teach you how. Golly gee. And she walks over, and she's like, do you do, you do this and what? And I was like, yeah, oh, I'll take it easy on you. And then all of a sudden, she was like Brah, spinning around, kicking the ball up, and it was insane. And then she started laughing. She was a semi-pro foosball player. I didn't know they existed until I met her, and I immediately realized I'm not that good. You know, I also used to think I was great at drawing. When I was dating my, my, who is now my wife, she was my girlfriend, I used to draw a sunflower for her because that was our flower. And in the middle of the, don't act like you didn't do this stuff, dudes. You're like, that's so silly. I did it too. I'm sorry. In the middle of the flower, I would draw, you know, like the little sunflower seeds and I would hide in there inconspicuously the numbers one, four, three. How many of you know why? Remember pagers? One, four, three, man, I love you, boo-boo. Mm-hmm. And she would say to me, 
babe, you're so good at drawing. I was like, I know. <laughs> Until my 14-year-old nephew came along. Now let me show you what he did with a Bic pen. That is a blue, can you turn the lights off for a moment? It'll just black out for a second. That is a blue Bic pen. I don't care who you are, you can't draw that well. Do you have the other one as well? Look at this, this is a black Bic pen. Wow. Are you kidding me? Okay, turn the lights back up. I don't know who he is, but he looks like he's alive and he's staring into my soul right now. He, he, he can draw. So I just kind of stopped drawing sunflowers and it's probably a good thing. I'm you know, nearing 40, I shouldn't be doing that anymore. Gosh, it felt weird to say nearing 40. I feel sick in my stomach right now. You know, experts have practiced their skill set so often that it now becomes na comes naturally to them. That's what an expert is. They've practiced their skill set. They don't even realize that they're that good. And you might say, I'm not greedy, but I have a question for you. And this is worth jotting down and, and not even just trying to answer today, but throughout this week. The question is, how do you measure your success? How do you, not your neighbor, not your spouse, not your friend, not your boss, not your employees, how do you measure your success? For most of us, we measure our success in what is tangible. In my assets, what I've acquired, and my accomplishments. In other words, I, I measure my success in what I can hold on to or things that I have done, things that I've accomplished with my life. I was talking to one of our pastors on our team, Scott Gordy, and he said something so profound once. He said, more than once. <laughs> he said, I think that men so often measure their success by their last great accomplishment. Like, what, what, what did I do great at my last company or in my last project? And that's why we have a lot of Uncle Ricos who can still throw a football over that mountain. It's a Napoleon Dynamite reference. <laughs> that's your next project for today. Go home and watch Napoleon Dynamite. The idea of I'm still living in glory days, as the boss would say. Bruce Springsteen. Is this too much for you guys right now? <laughs> like, who's the boss? I don't know. That's a television program. That's three in one. Holy cow. What can I touch and see and feel and know that this is mine? And again, I want to come back to our disclaimer. There is absolutely nothing wrong with having great things. Absolutely nothing wrong with ha seeing and experiencing great accomplishments. The problem is it begins to surface when I find value in what I hold or in what I've accomplished. Like when my intrinsic value is now based upon the assets which I have required or the accomplishments from my business or the corporation or the business that I started or in the children that are in the most amazing dance team on the history of the planet of earth. And then I find my value in those are great accomplishments, but at some point those assets and those accomplishments will become outdated. And then I'll unintentionally transpose my value to something that is outdated and have to accomplish something else or acquire something else. And I dive into this cycle of an insatiable need for more. And that, my friends, is what I would refer to as being unintentionally greedy. Colossians 3.1 says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life. In other words, if you're here and you're a believer and you say, I'm, I'm serious about following Christ, Paul says, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ 
presides. In other words, what are the things that he says are valuable and important? Look at this. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you, but look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. And I believe that's what Jesus was trying to communicate in this parable. And I think God actually asked two questions of us on a daily basis. These are worth writing down. Two questions of us on a daily basis. Number one, is my heart surrendered? Is my heart surrendered? If you're a dude in here, that might make you feel a little uncomfortable, like it's a little bit emotional. But we overcomplicate Christianity. We, we've attached something about knowing more about who Jesus is and having more insight as to the biblical history and being able to unpack systematic theology and what does that become but just a spiritual asset or accomplishment and says nothing about my heart. And Jesus never asks for us to be something other than obedient. Yeah. Where's your heart? Is it surrendered to him? I think one of the greatest things that we can do is to daily just simply pray the prayer of God. Today, I give you my life because I can't handle everything that's in front of me. I don't know how to be the husband to Megan that she needs or the father to Brooklyn and Avery that they need. I don't know how to manage the business or lead these people or parent these teenagers. So God, today, just before I start anything, I give you my life and you give me the words to speak and, and help me to see people the way that you see people and not the way that I want to see people. And God, I pray that you'd help me to think in a way that, that pleases you and not in the corrupt, nasty thoughts that I'm so used to, God. That's what surrender is. And I think when we start there, then God says, now I can do something awesome, but it also takes my eyes off of what I want and it shifts it to what God wants. The second question I think God asks on a regular basis is, am I impacting the people he has placed around me? If all we do is focus in on surrender, then we'll become so internally focused that we'll be of no earthly good. We have to be asking, God, am I impacting the people that you've placed in my life? And I say that strategically and specifically because God has ordained and orchestrated the neighbors and the friends and the coworkers you have, not just the ones you like to hang out, but especially the ones that get on your nerves. You know, as a youth pastor, the, the most challenging teenagers I ever worked with were the ones that I just wanted to slap around. And you know what? Always, without fail, they were the ones with the most horrific story. Story of neglect and abuse and abandonment. Just acting out in an, in an attempt to, to stave off any further rejection. Just crying out for somebody to believe in them. And my friends, your adult friends that you hang out with are just junior hires in bigger bodies. That's true right there. Write that down. Here's a question to ask yourself. Am I a source of encouragement or a source of discouragement? Guys, the, the world is drolling out and dishing out discouragement left and right. So I believe if we're a Christ follower, we should be a source of encouragement for those that are around us. Here's a question worth asking. Do I challenge others to accomplish their dreams or do I only see the challenges limiting their dreams? 
Another question worth asking is, do those closest to me get the best parts of me or my sloppy leftovers? Does the company that I have get the most creative ideas and the most insider? Does my family, my loved ones, my, my brothers and my sisters and my friends? Do I speak and think and live through the lens of negativity or do I see the endless possibilities of the rhythms of God's grace? a question worth writing down. What are you pursuing? Is it assets and accomplishments or is it surrender and impact? Why? Because, friends, we are headed at life speed towards eternity. There will be a day where you will not take a breath on this earth again. And eternity matters. One of the first things we can pull from this principle is beware the false pursuit of happiness. Number two, beware foolish reasoning. Beware foolish reasoning. Look at verse 16. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. And he talked to himself. How many of you, just be honest, please. How many of you talk to yourself? Good. How many of you are really good at arguments with yourself? Can you read? Okay, thank you. Y'all are all weird. I don't do that. He says, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough. I I don't have enough room for this terrific crop. And then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll gather all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, self, you have done well. You've got it made. And now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Let me tell you a few things that foolish reasoning will do. Foolish reasoning always takes credit for our success. Foolish reasoning always takes credit for any success that we see. Psalm 127 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. In other words, no matter what it is that's before you, whatever you are stewarding well, whatever it is you are focusing in on building right now, if God's not building it, you're doing it in vain. And I, hey, look at me in the eyes for a moment, just, just for a second. I think all of you are awesome. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm awesome. Turn to your other neighbor and say, no, seriously, I'm awesome. You're awesome because God made you awesome, not because you were just born that good. You're awesome because God made you awesome. But let me give you some fair warning. You don't want to take credit for success. If you take the credit for all of the success, then you also take credit for all of the failures. And that leads to a very dark place, my friends. The mental mapping for arrogance is the exact same mental mapping for depression. The idea that look at what I have accomplished also on the flip side says, oh my gosh, I can never measure up. I'm always seeming to fail. This never works out. Foolish reasoning takes credit for my success. When I'm focusing on what God is, is doing and saying, then I realize, man, God is doing this in my life and I wouldn't have it if he's not here. Foolish reasoning also allows abundance to fuel selfishness. Let me say that again. Foolish reasoning allows abundance to fuel selfishness. Look at what happens in verse 18. The farmer says, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. He had more crops than he knew what to do with. He had more more in, in storage and leftovers than he had ever had in his whole life. And what does he say? I still need more. I still need more. 
And that's what foolish reasoning does. It, it thinks that my abundance should fuel my selfishness. He was driven by what he could gain rather, rather than what he could give. Wow. And I, I believe that God gives us the ability to do what we do so that we can be generous. I mean, I really believe that you're awesome because God created you to be awesome. And, and I believe God's given you the ability to make wealth and do what you do. But I believe he's just waiting for people to say, I'm going to be generous. Look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 and 11 says. It says, this most generous God who gives seed to the farmer. Look at that. He's going to help you take care of your needs. That becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. And in other words, he's going to do more than you could imagine and more than you absolutely need. And he gives you something. Look at this. So you can then give away. But here's the great thing about what God does. When we give it away, look what he does. He turns it into something that produces, which grows into fully formed lives. Robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. God's going to give you the ability to, to produce wealth. The skill set that you have that got you the job that you have is from God. He's going to give you everything you need for your needs, and his supply never runs out. But he does this so that we can, in turn, be generous. And I just want to challenge you to let generosity not be this idea or this offering or this thought, but let it be a lifestyle. Yeah. And a generous lifestyle says, I truly live to give. Someone who walks in generosity doesn't say, when I have enough, then I'll give. Someone who understands generosity says that my life is about giving so that others can have. And I'm just telling you, the, the Bible has such an amazing scripture that I, I live by. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The only reason that we're here as a church is because God's been faithful and we chose early on to be generous. That was a good two clap right there. I mean, I, I, it's good, it's good. We just chose early on to be generous, even when we did not have enough. We talk about tithing in this church all the time, and you need to know in the early years, we didn't have enough money coming in to sustain paying rent or paying salaries. And we chose immediately for every dollar that would come in, 10% would go right back out. And you might say, that sounds foolish, and I'm telling you, the foolish reasoning of this world is trying to manipulate the way that you live your life. We just chose to be generous, and I can't tell you how many times on a random occurrence there would be a random check for the exact amount that we needed to pay the bills. Now look at me in the face for just one moment. I don't know where you're at or what you walked in with, but I'm challenging you. Maybe the biggest thing you can take today is to start being generous. I believe that's why God built the tithe into his principles. Everybody gets all cringy right here. Oh, here we go. It's so funny, we want, we want to talk about staying faithful to your wife, staying faithful to your husband. We want to talk about not stealing and cheating, but when it comes to that one specific principle in relation to finances, we get cringy. Jesus spoke about finances more than he spoke about grace and love. Why? Because he knew he'd struggle with it, so he built in this system. He says, hey, try the tithe out, test me. 
Why? Because every time you get a paycheck, you're put to the test. Do I trust God more than I trust my own self? And that's a hard pill to swallow. So I would challenge you, give it a shot. Give it a shot and watch what God does. That's not me. I'm quoting scripture. He said, test me in this and see that I would not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't even contain. See, the man in this story had a blessing he couldn't contain, and what did he do? He became selfish. But God's principles are saying, as I give you more than you can contain, then turn around and give it. I'm just telling you right now, give it a shot. Foolish reasoning takes credit for success. It allows abundance to fuel selfishness, and it settles on assets and accomplishments. Look at verse 19. It says this, Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods, and I'll say to myself, Self, you've done well. You've got it made. Now you can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. He said, okay, I've got what I need. Foolish thinking assumes that there's a finish line to my purpose in this life. And I'm afraid that, that, that that's kind of the mindset and the things that we're thinking. Is that, man, the thing that God has before me in this life has a finish line. Maybe when I reach a certain point or when I actually retire from my company. And that brings me to my third and final point, which this story shares. Number three is beware of the wrong finish line. Beware of the wrong finish line. Look at what verse 20 says. Verse 20, just then, God showed up and he said, fool, tonight you die. It's over. And who's going to get all this stuff that you acquired? Where's it going to go? You can't take it with you to the grave. Tonight you die. The Bible says this is what happens when we fill our barn with self and not with God. Jesus was illustrating that we, we have this wrong concept of the wrong finish line. Can I just pause for a moment? A lot of times I think we might picture Jesus talking to those that aren't in church. But 90% of the time that he was speaking, he was talking to believers. So this isn't for somebody that's never been to church before. If you're here and you say, I'm a Christ follower, he's talking to you and to me right now. He said, man, you got to watch out. There's a finish line that, that you're running at, but it ain't the right finish line. So the question that you and I have to ask today is, what are you filling your barn with? If today what was the last day, and on the way out, God showed up. He, I'm praying he doesn't do that and tell you it's over. <laughs> And this is it. Man, this is it. You had a good run, Jeremy. And, and now tonight is your last night. What would, be, what would be the things you'd be most proud of? What would be the things you would be proud of? I don't know how old you are. Maybe you're 32 or 18 or 11 or 62 or 70. I don't know how old you are. What are the things that you would be proud of? I promise you it would not be your assets. I promise you. You wouldn't care about the car that you drive. What would you be proud of? Hey, let's reverse that question for a moment. What would those closest to you be proud of about your life? What would you be proud of? 
Let's ask another question that might be challenging if God said, hey, this is it. What would you regret the most? What would be the place where you're spending your time that you would look back and go over the last 10 years, 5 years, 15 years, 30 years? I wish I had spent less time doing that. And I thought it was so important. But now at the end, it doesn't matter. I don't know about you, but I've literally, as a pastor, I've been at the deathbed of so many people I can't even count. I've been there as they breathe their last breath. I've been there as family is holding the hands of their loved one as they slip into eternity. And it is an overwhelming feeling. You don't sit there and not think of the big questions that matter. And I'm just going to ask you right now, in those moments, what will you be proud of and what will you regret? And the question is, are there things you're doing today that at that moment you need to change now? That's what this whole parable is about. What, what are you filling your barn with? What are you filling your barn with? I just want to encourage you that, that our finish line is heaven. It's heaven. That's what our finish line is. It's not, it's not retirement. I, I, I read a, a mantra every morning to remind myself of God's plan for my life. I tell you this all the time because I'm subliminally trying to get you to write your own mantra. At the end of my mantra, it says this, I will not quit, I will not retire. I will dig deeper, run faster, and be stronger than my excuses. Why? I didn't wake up to be mediocre. Let's do this. And I'm just telling you, man, don't look at some finish line on this earth and think that's what I'm aiming at. Just constantly be in a state of surrender to what God wants to do and impact the lives of the people that are around you. Pursue God and impact the people. I love the quote by Hunter Thompson. I'm sure you've heard it before. He said, life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. And I think that's exactly what this parable is about. Jesus saying, make sure you're living for the right things. Don't be like the foolish man, but store up things in the barn of your life that make a difference and make an impact. It doesn't mean you can't have great things and accomplish great things, but make sure you're focused on the right things. Make sure you're focused on the right. How many of you just be honest today and say, you know what? I've got to shift my focus a little bit. Would you raise your hands? I want to pray for us. Can we do that? Would you do me a favor? Would you just quietly and reverently stand to your feet? I want to pray for us right now. God, we just thank you that you're in this place. I thank you that you have great plans for us. And God, I just pray that we'd shift our focus to the purposes and the plans that you have and not our own intention, not our own desire, not our own accomplishments, not more assets, not more uh, uh, accolades, but God, that our focus would be on what you want for our lives, that we would daily surrender to you and look to those that you brought into our life to make an impact in their world. God, I thank you for the privilege and the honor it is to live this great life.
And the game changer isn't about whether or not you attend church or you think good thoughts or try to do good things. It's simply found in one place, in a belief that Jesus said, hey, you've got a place at my table. You belong here. You don't have to get everything right. It's a moment where you say, okay, God, today, for the beginning, right now, I surrender my life to you. I give you my life. And some of you in this room have never made this decision, and today is your day. It's the reason that you're here. And some of you in this room have been running from God. You may have prayed a prayer like this, but today is your day to come running back. And I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I want you to have a moment with God right where you're at. And in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want to challenge you to pray it with me and begin this journey. It's not making life perfect, but it's when life gets good. So do me a favor, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, today is your day. And if you're here and and it's time to come running back to God, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heads bowed, eyes closed, in a small whisper or the quietness of your own heart, just make this prayer your own. Just say, dear God, I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose, that I'm not alone. I don't want to focus on the wrong things in life. In fact, God, I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? And right where you're standing, just make this statement your own. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.